Our gospel reading for this morning is going to be read by William. Thank you, William. The lesson is written in the gospel according to John in the 20th chapter and reading from verses 19 to 31. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive another's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here ends the lesson. Thanks, Will. My recently turned 13-year-old son really growing up. Thanks, Will. I wrote in our newsletter that went out this last week a description of what I really hope as we dare to dream about the future of ourselves, the church, uh, after lockdown, after the end of this quarantine, what is the world going to look like? As we begin to dream, I wrote in the light of Easter that I, I, that I hoped this would be kind of what it is. We are called out of our tombs into the warm morning light of a new day, rebirthed, transformed, with new confidence and new power. I really hope that that is true for us in the power of the, of the Spirit at work. But you know, this morning as we read the reading uh, describing that first evening of the resurrection, that's not really a description of the disciples at all, is it? As we see them behind their locked doors, there really is no indication of transformation, new confidence, new power. And so, what is going on in that story? Why is it that the resurrection has not had this transformative effect on Jesus' disciples? I wonder why it is that they were afraid. Let's put ourselves into their shoes and, and just ask questions. Why that evening they were afraid that they chose to go into a room and to lock the door in fear? John tells us, in fact, that they were afraid of the leaders of the Jews. And if we put ourselves into their shoes, I think we can perhaps understand that they thought that with Jesus' death, maybe they were next on the, on the list. In reality, there was no evidence of a persecution that broke out against Jesus' followers. And even in the preceding passage, we, we see how the women, first of all, go to the tomb, and then John and Peter also go. And they encounter nobody from the authorities at all. You know, if there was going to be a persecution, you would imagine that that's where they would have gone to, to find these Christians, these followers of Jesus. So maybe the first thing about the fear that they, that they experienced that day was that maybe it's quite a subjective thing, that it's, a, in a sense, slightly irrational. There was no evidence that presented itself for them to be afraid. But, you know, as I look at my life, and probably true for you too, there are moments in my life where I've been afraid, and it has been irrational. 
it hasn't really been based on factors, but it's been based on the state of my heart and, and my head, my emotions that have led me to, to be afraid. I think there was another reason that they were afraid that night, anxious. And that was because of the uncertainty of the circumstances. They didn't know what lay around the next corner. They didn't know what the future held. We're told that even as John and Peter went to the tomb, in verse 9 of John 20, he writes, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And so they are, there they are gathered, not fully understanding, having heard the rumors, having heard the, the testimony of the women, perhaps not entirely believing what they had said, not sure if Jesus really had risen from the dead, but knowing one thing, that his body was missing from the tomb. And so they must have gone, well, we didn't take it. We didn't take the body. Uh, not sure whether he's resurrected or not. Has somebody else stood in the body? Is there an agenda unfolding around us that we're not aware of? There must have been lots of anxious conversation in that room that night. I think there's a third reason why the disciples were anxious, why they were afraid that evening in that upper room. And I think the root of it was a deep sense of shame. They're standing in that room. That may well have been the very same room that only hours beforehand they'd eaten the Last Supper with Jesus. There may even have been the remains of the meal still there, a reminder, perhaps, of the conversation that they'd had with him, of the things that he had said about himself and that the events were going to unfold. And despite their bravado and, and, and so on of the time, standing in that room that night, they must have realized again that they had let him down, that they had drifted into the shadows at the most critical moment when Jesus needed, him, needed them. And so the, the rumors of Jesus having risen from the dead probably multiplied their sense of shame. He may well be alive, and he's going to come to us and he's going to point out our failings. You know, there's a sense in which maybe that door was locked not to keep the authorities out, but in fact even to keep Jesus out. That room begins to represent, and its locked door begins to represent all the reasons why that little group of disciples were robbed of the joy of knowing that Jesus had risen from the dead, <clears throat> that there was indeed new life, that the promises of Jesus were fulfilled, that his promises were true. All of that joy and hope was not theirs that night because of that locked door and because of their sense of fear. Let me just pause in the story for a second and bring it back to us. For many of us, I sense that we too live our lives without the full joy and hope that should come with Easter, that should come with knowledge of the resurrection, that Jesus is alive, that we have victory in him. Many of us live our lives with anxiety and with fear. There are many of us that from one Easter to the next, we sense that we are rooted to the spot, 
that we don't grow as Christians, that as we reflect back, we achieve very little in our Christian lives. There's a paralysis. For many of us, again, there may be very real reasons why we are rooted to the spot in fear. Some of us have incredible circumstances in which we live. Pain and grief and unemployment. And those are real. Those are real and they have a real impact on our, on our lives. For some of us, the anxiety that we, we have is a sense of our own shame and lack of worth and, and so on. For some of us, the fears that we fear are irrational. But they stem for some, from deep emotional things within us. Hard to put our finger on what they are. But the result is all the same is that we don't have the joy and the hope and the victory, the transformative effect that should come with the resurrection. And so my question to you this week, as you perhaps go away and reflect on these things, what are your fears? Maybe you want to jot them down. Maybe you want to reflect in a more kind of concrete way on the things that seem to hold you back, the, the locks on the doors that keep you pinned to the spot, that prevent you from going out and fulfilling God's will in your life, perhaps. The great joy of this picture is that Jesus does something about their fear, that he takes the initiative, that he appears in their midst, miraculously through the locked door, Jesus appears amongst them doesn't wait for them to invite him, doesn't wait for them to put themselves right. He simply appears in their midst. And the other thing is that Jesus doesn't immediately point his finger at them and say, well, thanks guys, where were you? He doesn't point out their failings. He doesn't ask them to ask for forgiveness. He doesn't even mention any of those things. He knows them just as they know their failings but he doesn't raise them. He doesn't raise those things. Instead, what Jesus does is he gives them what they need most. Peace. Peace be with you, says Jesus. In the midst of your anxiety and your shame and your fear, Jesus gives them the antidote to all of those things. His peace. And it's not the kind of peace that we that we kind of have in English, where it's an absence of, of conflict. That's our understanding of peace. No, it's that Jewish shalom. It's the fullness of all the things that God wants to give to you, wants, to be, wants your life to be fulfilled. That's the shalom, for you to be a complete and whole person. So Jesus brings his healing, and he shares his peace, his shalom with them. And we see that the response is immediate that their joy begins to return. But Jesus does a few other things too. He reveals who he is afresh. He shows them. He allows them to touch and feel, to determine that he really is who he, who he says he is. This is Jesus. This is the Jesus that, was, that died on the cross. He really has risen from the dead. He reassures them. He also recommissions them immediately. He sends them out. Go out. He entrusts them, in other words, with the mission, partnership. 
and he breathes his spirit on them. It's John's little mini Pentecost as he equips his disciples afresh for the things to which he calls them. And their call is to be ambassadors of forgiveness, not to go out into the world to be judgmental or to point fingers at the world. No, to be ambassadors of forgiveness, to share the good news of Jesus Christ who came not to bring judgment, but to bring forgiveness. There's another aspect that I want to share with you, which I think is, is really beautiful. That in the scene that, that John recreates, there's a little hint of the Old Testament. There's a little hint of another occasion when those who were loved by God hid from him. The words from from the uh, Old Testament, of course, come from Genesis as we go back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3 verse 8, that evening they heard the Lord God walking in the garden and they hid from him among the trees. There too, a sense of guilt and a sense of shame led Adam and Eve to run, to flee from God, to hide from him, to close the door and to lock it, to try and keep him at bay, to hide their shame. As uh, Jesus breathes his spirit on them, there's again a hint from Genesis. Genesis 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God took some soil from the ground and formed a man out of it. He breathed life-giving breath into his nostrils, and the man began to live. You see, what John is saying in this, in this encounter with Jesus and his disciples is that Easter is a new beginning. It's as though those disciples have been reborn, that there's a new start, a fresh start. Jesus comes to them and gives them peace, and he gives them the new life that they need to start again. Dear friends, this Easter time, this first Sunday after Easter, I want to take you from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I want to remind you of, Gen of Revelation 3, verse 20, where the risen Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Isn't it beautiful? This Easter for us, in the midst of all of our fears and anxieties that we sometimes carry with us, our paralysis, our lack of self-confidence, Jesus comes to us again this Easter, and he knocks at our closed doors. And he says, Peace be with you. It's a new day. It's new life. There's rebirth. I want you to have courage. I want you to be filled afresh with my spirit. I want you to go out. I'm sending you because I trust you to be ambassadors of forgiveness, ambassadors of love, bearers of the good news. And so I asked you a little earlier, for you to reflect on the, on the fears that you carry in your life, the things that cause you to be paralyzed, the, the anxieties that cause you to lock your door and to be rooted to the spot. I want you to reflect on what that promise of peace might mean to you. What is it that you need from Jesus this day? What is the peace that you need as the antidote to the fear that you experience? What will it take for you to become all that God wants you to be. For you to be the complete person that he desires so much for you. You see, this day he's not here to, 
to fill us with recrimination or to point fingers or to condemn us. Jesus comes afresh this day as he does every day because he loves us. He appears in the midst of our anxieties because he loves us. He recommissions us and fills us with his spirit because he loves us. And so this first Sunday after Easter, can we receive Jesus' peace afresh? And can we allow it to transform us? I want to end with these beautiful words. He steps into the midst of our house through the locked doors and breathes peace and life into us. He breathes peace and hope into us. He breathes peace and courage into us. He breathes peace and strength into us. And that breath of peace is the key that unlocks the door. So take a deep breath. Take it all in. Let it fill and enliven you. Let it give you the hope, courage, and strength to unlock and open the doors of your life. And then, get out of the house. Amen.